It's an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the laws are complicated and constantly changing, the wisest and safest way to keep track of them all is to call elder law attorney Michael Cohen. Having devoted his career to informing and protecting the elderly, Michael communicates about the law in ways that you and your loved ones will surely understand. Join us now to know your legal rights with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here's Michael and Don. I welcome you once again to another Estate Planning Essentials program, always committed to protecting your family, your assets, and you. And I'm virtually on the telephone sitting with my co-host, my partner, my friend, my attorney, who should be yours, Michael Cohen. Hello, Michael. Hi, Don. How you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. Uh, welcome to another show. We appreciate the future education that you're going to give us. Uh, we also appreciate how warm it is outside. Uh, this day and um, looking forward to a warmer summer and uh, hopefully it'll warm our hearts and our heads and get us back to normalcy, whatever that is. Yeah, well, I don't think you have to worry about heat in Dallas uh, in the summer. It's going to happen. <laughs> yes, it really is. No doubt about it. North, south, east and west. It is a very hot state compared to places like Minnesota and North Dakota. Uh, but I love Texas and I know you do too. And it's a great place to live and be. And we're going to talk about Texas and the rules and the laws for estate planning. And But today it's going to be more about public benefits. And there are some misconceptions out there, Michael, when it comes to public benefits and selling your home. Can you elaborate on those two topics and how they tie in? You know, usually the largest asset that most people have, and I know it's not uniform, but usually largest assets that people have is either their home or a retirement account. Mm -hmm. Most people do not have long-term care insurance. If I asked a room of 100 people, probably 10 of them might say they have long-term care insurance. Some people may not need it if they have adequate income and resources, but that's probably a minority. And other people can't afford it because they have limited uh, either income or resources, and it's just too costly for them. And so as a result, in addition to the fact that Medicare does not cover long-term care other than if you have a three-day hospitalization stay and you might have as much as a few months coverage, but generally Medicare doesn't cover long-term care. And as the longer, as we live longer, and people, notwithstanding the pandemic, uh, people are living longer and so, as a result, they may need to use up more of their assets on care. And uh, then they start looking for different ways to preserve resources so that the government will be of assistance in paying for that cost of care. Okay. So, Medicare, as I said, doesn't. And if you don't have long-term care insurance, then there are different public benefits that may be of assistance. One is Medicaid, and another one is veterans' benefits to those who served during wartime uh, or the widows of wartime veterans who were not dishonorably charged, discharged. Mm. So I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Medicaid now because on Medicaid, uh, if you have a home, in either case, if you have a home, so I guess I could talk about both Medicaid and veterans' benefits, 
a homestead doesn't count. But the rules are different, uh, whether it be for Medicaid versus uh, veterans benefits. So uh, a homestead doesn't count as a resource uh, generally. Uh, I say generally, so I'll have to give the clarification. Uh, if you are married, there's no limit to the value of the homestead uh, if you are going to apply for Medicaid. Why Medicaid again? Because Medicaid will help pay for the cost of care. Mm-hmm. So uh, even if you are single and apply for Medicaid, when I say Medicaid, there are different programs. There's a program if you're in a nursing home, a different program if you're at uh, an assisted living facility, although not all, only a minority of assisted living facilities accept Medicaid, uh, whereas the, major, the great majority if you're in a nursing home. So we're somewhat um, institutionally biased. Uh, and then the, there's also programs at home where the government pays somebody to come to your home to help pay. Uh, they pay somebody to come to your home to take care of the person who seeks uh, benefits. Uh, okay, so now the if the person was on veterans benefits, they have a different rule. Uh, there they look at the size of the acreage, um, like saying two acres. So it's a different rule. Uh, if you're single, by the way, on Medicaid, uh, the limit uh, in Texas for the long-term care Medicaid or the other Medicaid programs that I just mentioned is 603000 equity value. Okay. Uh, that changes each year, you know, with inflation. Uh, so it goes up a little bit uh, each year. So let's talk about if you sell the home. The home doesn't count as an asset for Medicaid as long as you intend to return to the home. Even if you go into a nursing home and think that the person will never, ever come back, there should always be an intent to return home. If you say that, it will be an exempt resource. There'll be an exempt resource. And so, in other words, Medicaid is means-tested. They look at your assets, but there are certain assets that do not count, and your home doesn't count. They want you to return home. Uh, But if you had cash, it counts. So if you were single and you sold that home, it would become a countable resource because it becomes cash. Now, a lot of people are under the misunderstanding that they have to sell their home to get eligible for Medicaid. That's not true. There are certain things that do not count. Just like bankruptcy law, uh, certain things do not count. A home doesn't count, like we just said, based on the parameters that we just mentioned. One car, regardless of value, doesn't count. A pre-need funeral doesn't count. Uh, Burial spaces for children uh, or children's spouses uh, uh, does not count, as well as for siblings and the parents. Personal property items do not count. And actually, uh, in a lot of cases, even IRAs do not count uh, for long-term care Medicaid in Texas as long as there is a required minimum distribution or if it's a Roth or if it's the person is underage, you could buy an annuity within that uh, retirement account and it will not count as a resource. So there are a few different things. Also, mental rights, if it's worth less than $6,000, it generates at least a 6% rate return, also doesn't count. So there are some different things, a business essential for self-support. So if you have a family farm uh, and it's making income based on your tax return, uh, then it will not 
count as a resource also. So there's a, there are different things that do not count, uh, and that might be part of the solution if you sell the home. Uh, one other thing I want to mention before I forget, a lot of people want to do what we've talked on several of our shows about ladybird deeds. Mm-hmm. Now, a ladybird deed is a deed that says, I'm in control of the property during my lifetime, but upon my death, the property goes to whoever the heir might be. In Texas, for Medicaid, they even though the home doesn't count, the state will have a right to make a claim against the home after death to the extent that the government has paid out benefits. So for the cost of care and drugs, the government may ask for that amount back. And so typically the home is the largest asset, so they'll go after the home to say to re- get repaid for the benefits that they advanced. Uh, the state goes, in Texas, the state goes after things that go by your last will and testament. Uh, or if you die without a will, they will also go after the home. Now, by the way, I didn't say, uh, you'll notice I didn't say anything about if the home was in a revocable trust. Uh, however, unfortunately, even though a revocable trust is often good to avoid guardianship and to avoid probate, it's often not good for Medicaid because if you put that home into the trust, for example, uh, it would count as a resource under the Medicaid rules. Uh, there's a simple solution to that, by the way. If you want your trust to still be in existence and you put your home into the trust, you deed the property from the grantor, the one who set up the trust, homestead owner in effect, to that person individually, and then you would do this enhanced life estate deed, also known as a ladybird deed, where the property goes back to the trust after that person dies. So it goes according to the terms of the trust, but it's not in the trust, so it doesn't count as an asset for Medicaid. Now, so a lot of people think that if you have a ladybird deed, uh, which gives you the right to sell the property, to lease the property, the mortgage property, you're in total control during your life, that there's no problem if you sold the property and you're on Medicaid, but that's mm-hmm. not true. Because if you have cash, you got money. And if you got money, you could pay for the cost of care. If you're single, all you can have is $2,000 of countable resources. All right, so if you had a home, let's say you had a home worth $200,000 or whatever it may be, uh, again, as I said before, uh, if you are single, if you have a home uh, up to an equity value of 603000 it does not count uh, as an asset for Medicaid. Well, what happens if you sell the home? It becomes cash. Cash becomes a resource, and that means that it could be used for care. So what can we do to keep Medicaid eligibility so that the government will help subsidize the cost of care? If you're, if you're single, generally you give up your income as your share, and the government pays the balance of the cost of care plus medication. Mm-hmm. So let me give you an example. If you had Social Security income of $1,500 a month and the cost of care was $6,500 a month and maybe you had medication cost of a few hundred dollars, you're only responsible for that $1,500. And actually, there could be a few deductions uh, from that. But basically, you're saving $5,000 a month or more in that example because you're not having to pay the difference between the income and the actual cost of care in addition to uh, the medication costs that the government will help, help take care of. So this is a big benefit. 
especially as we live longer. I always tell stories about my wife's grandma, Gussie, who always say that, you know, she died prematurely at 107 and a half. So the, so people are living longer, and the longer that we live, the more likelihood of disability and more likelihood of need of care, whether that care be in a nursing home, assisted living, or care at home, where the government might help subsidize that cost of care. Yeah. Uh, so if you sold the home, it becomes cash. What are some options that we could do to save the value of those assets in one form or another or a portion of those assets so it just doesn't all go to spend down to pay for the cost of care? What does the government allow you to do under their rules? All right. Well, first of all, if you sell your home, uh, you could um, buy another home. Let's say that you have a uh, somebody's a, oh, I don't know, maybe they have, uh, there's always a, a place, a family, a place where people always wanted to get together with your family and somebody else's family. Everybody went for to go, uh, oh, I don't know, dove hunting for some reason, I'll just say. <laughs> I know that that's uh, kind of uh, early in the year for, for that. But, uh, but anyway, let's just say you just had some big ranch land or some sort of property that everybody wanted to get together in the summer, kind of like the old family farm or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so we bought the old family farm. It may have been owned jointly with other siblings or something like that. Uh, and you could buy another property. So you could buy another property. Uh, and even if you've never lived there. So usually when you apply for Medicaid, you have to have lived in your home. But if you already have a home and are on Medicaid, you could buy another property even though you never lived there. So in that example of the old family farm where people all get together or whatever uh, that was not maybe even what you owned or maybe only owned a portion of it, um, perhaps if uh, depending on different facts. I don't want to get too detailed in that. But uh, basically, you could buy another property within a certain period of time, even if you never lived there. It doesn't count as a resource. By the way, again, if you do have that homestead and you're single, often, although there are exceptions to the rule, other exceptions to the rules, we often do that ladybird deed to protect the home from the claim of the state after death because the state only goes after things that go by will or by intestacy, that is, without a will, as we were mentioning a little bit ago. So just a word to the wise, to protect the largest asset that most people have if you um, are single or widow, uh, then it may be a good idea if you do not have long-term care insurance to consider that type of deed to protect your home because uh, from the government's claim, if you want that home to go to your loved ones. That's the key, protecting your home. And that's what Michael does for a living, protects the home, which means he protects you. And that is critical when it comes to estate planning or government assistance, especially because there are so many misconceptions out there. And hopefully Michael cleared some of them up so far in the first half of the program. As Mike said a minute ago, a word to the wise, uh, understanding what the rules and laws are. And also he didn't say, which I will, and that is to truly and fully understand what the laws are. You should attend his next workshop to ask more questions in case he doesn't answer them during this program. That next virtual workshop, which is online, 
via a Zoom video conferencing, so you never have to leave your house, and it's really easy, click, click, and you're there, is Thursday, May the 27th at 1 p.m. And Michael's been doing these workshops for years and years and years and well over a year now online, and it's really simple for the listener to attend those, and in this case, it would be a Zoom call, so you'd become a, you go from a listener to a viewer, but you can listen to. You don't have to uh, be seen during the call. You can just listen in uh, and see everybody else during the video conference workshop. And they're very effective, and they're very educational, and they could be vital to your estate planning or your understanding of government assistance. So, Michael, can you explain more of what goes on at those workshops? Yeah, we ask people whatever they want to know. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, on the last workshop we had, which I believe was on May the 11th, mm-hmm. uh, on that workshop there had everything was questions on uh, people having a will from another state hmm. uh, to saying if I have a will in Nebraska, will that be good in Texas? Wow. To somebody asking about uh, health insurance through Obamacare, uh, to uh, questions about uh, Medicaid issues. There was even a question on breast cancer Medicaid. Uh, there was questions. Wow. On, so, so you never know. I mean, we never had that question before, right. and we never had a question about Obamacare, for that matter, uh, before. Uh, so it was just kind of you never know what questions that people are going to ask. Now, most people say, oh, should I need a will? Should I need a trust? Uh, do I need a power of attorney? What's the difference between these things? Uh, what estate planning documents do I need? Is there... Do I, how do I protect my assets? Should I need uh, long-term care assistance? So that's kind of one of some of the issues that we're going on over today. A lot of times there are questions on Medicaid or on veterans' benefits. Uh, yeah. It could be uh, any number of things, but most often people want to protect their assets. Right. They want to say, how do I make sure that I preserve whatever it is I have? If it's only a house, that's fine or whether it's other assets, how do I make sure I take care of my loved ones, to take care of myself during my lifetime, whether I'm disabled or not disabled, and even after my death, how do I protect them in a way that I do things the way I want under my terms and conditions and make it as easy as possible for that loved one to get whatever I have uh, without any delay? And it's not, uh, of course, that's just our definition of estate planning, but it's not a right or wrong answer. But those are mm-hmm. the type of things that a lot of times people ask. Yeah. And, we, and, but, and we just do for two hours, we just go through whatever those questions are. Well, we'll have a presentation as well to give some just basic understanding of estate planning essentials. But we ask people what they don't want to know. And some people just do it verbally on, on the Zoom and other people put it in a chat box. Mm-hmm. Um like you said, some people want to be seen. Some people don't want to be seen. It's okay. Yeah. It's very simple. When we give directions to make it so simple, even if you've never been on Zoom, we will make it so simple for you that you're going to learn. Yeah, just and, click, click, uh, and uh, you're there at the workshop. And it's nice because you never have to leave the house. You don't have to get in the car, sit in traffic, even though you're centrally located right off of Central in 635. Um, but the best way uh, to do those, in my mind, at least I have, found is online and that's what you're doing so these these workshops are free and the next one is thursday may the 27th at 1 p.m again it's online so you can sign up uh, by dialing 214-720-0102 214-720-0102 
888-888-0102 or go to Dallas Elder, E-L-D-E-R, DallasElderLawyer.com, DallasElderLawyer.com. Michael, about five, six minutes left in the program today, and I wanted to ask you about a lot of these Medicaid and general government assistant uh, rules and laws. Are they Texas-oriented and only, or are they national, or is it a combination thereof? Ladybird deeds are only in about three states. Okay. So we're not, that is not national. Okay. Uh, how, and there are, uh, so the, the Medicaid is a joint program between the federal and state governments. Mm-hmm. And so even when I mentioned the IRAs, in some states they count as a resource, in other states they don't. Mm-hmm. And in Texas they don't as long as there's required minimum distributions okay. or if we buy an annuity within the retirement account. Uh, but so it is state sensitive. So if anybody's listening, in Oklahoma or Louisiana, uh, you're going to have to talk with somebody there about the rules of that state. But in Texas, uh, so some of these things that I'm now going to mention are state-specific. Okay. Uh, so, for example, uh, I'll mention one right now that if, let's say, you have grandchildren or great-grandchildren, you have this cash, and um, normally when you make a transfer, a gift, or an uncompensated transfer, it's subject to a five-year look-back period. The government says you did it on purpose to reduce your assets uh, to get us to pay for cost of care. But there are certain exceptions to the rules. So, for example, in Texas, that's something unique, is we could have a direct deposit into an UTMA, Uniform Transfers to Minors account, if the grandchild or great-grandchild was under 21 years of age. In other words, the government's saying we want you to save for a college education for a grandchild or a great-grandchild, even irrevocable 529s, but just not all 529s, which are college education funds, um, do not count as a resource. So if you had that 200000 had several grandchildren that were under 21, okay, you could save the assets for them. Or if you have a disabled child, let's say if you have a disabled child, whether I transfer the uh, cash proceeds to the disabled child well, we could do that, too. Maybe the disabled child needs um, uh, money. Uh, well, he can do all sorts of things. Maybe there was a, a reverse mortgage, and then you, you, the person was on Social Security disability, and uh, they just transferred cash to mm-hmm. the disabled child. Anyway, there's lots. there, there are exceptions to the uh, look-back period, the five-year look-back period for Medicaid. VA, by the way, is a three-year look-back period. I don't. It doesn't look like we're going to have time to go into the VA rules. Uh, some of the other things I'm going to just mention very briefly. Uh, I just mentioned the UTMA because that's unique to Texas. The disability rule, however, that is a disabled child, is probably national in scope. Uh, so you can make a transfer to a disabled child, whether it's the homestead or the cash from selling the homestead, and without a transfer penalty. Another exception, by the way, is if you had somebody who kept you from going into a nursing home for two years uh, prior to going into the nursing home, uh, then you could transfer to that child or whoever that caregiver is, probably, yes, a child uh, would probably be the rule, uh, then you could transfer the homestead to that child uh, without with it being an exception to the five-year look-back period. But there are a lot of tax reasons why you don't want to do that, oh. uh, which at that time go through at this time. Uh, other things, real quickly, you could buy things that do not count. So it could be, remember we talked about a pre-need funeral for you or perhaps a spouse. That means tombstone marker, opening, close of the grave, perpetual care, vault, liner, niche, mausoleum. 
that type of thing, and you could buy bur- and you could own burial spaces for uh, your children, parents, and um, siblings and their spouses, uh, and it would not cause a resource. Uh, there is a way to do some transfer planning where you can, even though there's a five-year look-back period, uh, that doesn't mean there's five years of ineligibility. And so usually, even if there was not an exception to the rules, there are ways to um, do the through the use of an, a Medicaid-compliant annuity and gifting uh, that you could save generally around 60% of the value of the home. So if it was 200000 you might save $120,000, uh, for example, and it just depends on what the cost of care is and what your income is. So there's lots of different ways. And uh, so either you buy things that do not count, and, of course, if you paid bills, if you had any existing credit card bills or, or anything uh, like that, um, you, you, you could, uh, or doctor's bills or, or whatever the bills might be, uh, maybe there was nursing home bills that were due. Uh, you could over, always pay debts. Uh, and by the way, if you wanted to let the delay, because the expenses of, let's say, property taxes, uh, once you're a senior, you could delay the taxes until you die. And in fact, I think there's even companies that will do financing for you at a lower interest rate than what the government would do uh, as far as the amount of the interest for not paying those taxes. So there's lots of different different options that you might have before you decide to, uh, if you do sell the home, and I'm not telling you to sell the home because it's exempt. In fact, it's probably a good idea if you could avoid selling the home to avoid it because we could uh, we could uh, avoid estate recovery, as we mentioned before, in several ways. We mentioned the ladybird deed, but there are other options if there's an unmarried adult child living in the home. Lots of different things that could be uh, done to avoid a successful claim by the state. Lots of options, and I'm grateful for them. The audience is grateful for them, Michael. Um, if you sat in the room with Michael, literally in person or meeting face-to-face, not on a Zoom call, you would realize when it comes to government assistance, when it comes to state planning, he is that guy, that guy who is the smartest person in the room when it comes to those issues, in my opinion, because he's on top of them. He never reads during these programs. Never. He just This is all straight from his head because he is so intelligent and so on top of, of the issues, and this is why you need to attend his next workshop. He knows this information as well as he knows the Dallas Cowboys, which is quite a statement <laughs> to make. So I don't know what, what he knows more about, but that's, they're both very impressive. And if you want to be impressed, sign up for his next workshop and attend the next workshop. That is the next logical step to do so. Uh, for that next workshop on Thursday, May the 27th at 1 o'clock. Dial 214-720-0102, or go to DallasElderLawyer.com, DallasElderLawyer.com, our Dallas Elder Lawyer, Michael Cohen. We thank you, sir. Thank you, Don. A leading estate planner practicing law in Dallas, Texas for decades now, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the estate planning laws that can affect your family and you. The first step is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com to sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214 214- 
214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on 770-KAAM for six years, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate and complete what could currently be a deficient estate plan. Make sure it is done your way and sign up for his next workshop today.